When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we are Qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of fun and a whole lot of laughs. No, that's wrong. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> we can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our websites, guideemily.com and alexlacey.com and our dedicated podcast website, <laughs> ladieswholondon.com for more information about our upcoming walking tours and virtual tours as well as what the blue badge guiding qualification is all about there we go i think that's it oh my Honestly. god what i might do is i might put all those bloopers at the very end behind the um the jingle for anybody who yeah. cares oh because i know that oh brilliant oh yeah i can do that i'm an editing master yeah. mate because um, i know that some people do listen for the bloopers Get them in, get them in. Anyway. Hello, welcome back to Ladies Who London. Hello, Hi, everybody. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm very well this week. Despite the weather. Despite the weather. Um, I'm so done with this summer. I know. We were meant to be getting a bit of a heat wave, but that seems to have uh, sodded off somewhere. Yeah, my, my housemate has been laughing at me because a couple of weeks ago when I heard there was going to be a heat wave, I bought a new kind of um, air cooling system. Oh, she just comes home and she just goes, how's that going then? <laughs> well, still in the box, is it? Yeah, well, it, no, it, it's now out of the box, but it was oh, in okay, the box for a week. Okay. I thought, I'm just, I'm going to try and manifest the hot weather. Um, but yeah, it's now sort of just parked where it's probably no. going to stay for a year. Is it quite big as well, taking up quite a lot of space? Uh, yeah, it's not small. It's not small. Oh, God, that's annoying. Anyway, whatever. How are you? I'm well. I'm good. I had um, a nice weekend. Good. We went to Kew Gardens. I saw. I'm desperate to go back to Kew Gardens. It's oh so wonderful. God. I love it so much. And it was actually a really hot day on Saturday. Um, and we went on the little train that takes you around the park. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it was gorgeous. Just, I always forget how colourful it is in summer. I tend to go quite a lot at winter and autumn. But in the summer, it's just something else, isn't it? It's it really just... is. And we yeah. haven't done a podcast. We've done a podcast on Chelsea Physic Garden. But not on. Yeah, we haven't done on on queue. No. We should do that. We'll put that in the queue. Well, um, yeah. So things are going pretty well, um, podcast wise, and we've got a couple of little things that we we're working on that we can't quite tell you about yet. But um, 
but we've things in the pipeline things in the pipeline and we should say um don't forget that the blog is up as well for oh yes guys don't forget the blog yeah so we're we're updating um the blog so if you want to have a little look all the things we're talking about uh, after the podcast it is there for you um and last week's one um which was on the uh, Tem- the thames tunnel Yes. Uh, which is fantastic so that's um yeah really really lovely little blog that you put up there so do go and check those out because we're um oh, thanks you know uh, making sure that you've, you've got everything you want to have a look at uh, exactly. for them so thames tunnel last week i really enjoyed that one that was that was really fun it was so great to be on the boat as well wasn't it yeah i've had a couple of people that have said that they've gone uh, along the thames since on mm. you know one of the the, the boats that go down towards the west and suddenly thinking oh we're actually going over the tunnel you know and they've never oh, thought yeah. that there's actually a tunnel or anything really under the Thames underneath yeah. them so um yeah and a few people get in touch and say oh, I've been through that so many times and I didn't know how historic it was mm. um and then I, I spoke to somebody the other day on Instagram I can't remember who it was now apologies if it was you who said that they went through it the other day and they were on their own and they felt like they had to tell somebody so they told the person next to them oh really oh that's brilliant spread the <laughs> history spread that history like Absolutely. butter so we need to clear up our podcast pedestal from last week we do my is... darling the uh, the two top crux points of the story what did you go for so i went for the tunnel shield which was patented by uh, mark isambard brunel the creator and it was this that really gnawed its way through the clay and yeah. the earth um and you can find a fantastic model of it in the brunel museum so yeah i just thought that that model was key to creating the tunnel yeah absolutely and i think it's it's amazing when you think of all the technology we've got now but the fact that back then they had none of that and yet they still managed to create massive firsts that today you know we haven't moved on hugely in in the way that they do it we've just sort of made things a bit more sturdy but essentially kind of the same the same thing really absolutely and what did you go for my love Uh, well i went for um the rather daring escape by Isambard King du Brunel, who got stuck in the tunnel when it flooded. And rather quick thinking, actually, instead of going the way that everyone else was going, took, I mean, frankly, a massive chance and went the other direction to where he knew there was a door, but it would be closed and just sort of bashed on it until somebody came in and rescued him. So his escape attempt that uh, I, we, we kept we kept an engineer you know one of the best engineers the country's ever seen yeah i mean thank god somebody was on the other side of the door to hear him banging to let him through because otherwise you know things would be quite different we wouldn't have the clifton suspension bridge yeah renko hospital in crimea yeah all, all sorts of things yeah amazing so there we go so those are our options um it's slightly more split than sometimes this week not hugely it's 41 and a half percent to 58 and a half percent okay that's not too bad not too bad i mean that's that's a respectable showing it for, is uh, for the one that's that that came second <laughs> uh, and i think that that's me i feel yeah, it is it was it uh, do you know what i'm i'm fine with that because i did think the tunnel shield it's an you amazing know, bit of kit. <laughs> it's an amazing bit of kit. Um, but it's no but it doesn't really escape. wow the listeners, I don't think. So. <laughs> well, it wowed 41.5% of them. So oh, that's, that's true. Good, and yeah. I don't want to disregard your vote at all. <laughs> I'm not telling you you voted the wrong way. 
but it yeah. sounds like I am, doesn't it? Oh it my does. god, I'm trying to dig my way out of this with the tunnel shield. Um, yeah, very nice. So, uh, but no, there. well done, Alex. Well done. Um, we Thank you very are, much. Well, it's now twenty-two to twenty-one, I believe. Yeah, or are we both I mean, on twenty-two. Uh, we'll need to check. I think we're both on 22. Oh, Either way, you are one ahead of me. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yes, it's uh, 23 to 22. 23 to 22. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. There we it's go. Very, you know, it's very tight, isn't it? We're, we're good at it choosing is. these. And also, you know, if anyone out there, if you think that the crux point isn't any of the, 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 the yeah. two choices and you want to tell us, you know, what you think your crux point is. we're wrong. Is, yeah, exactly. You know, we, we would um, very much like to know. Yeah, absolutely. Please do drop us a line. Um, we have an email and we're not afraid to use it. No, we're not. There we go. Now, we should also give a little shout out uh, to Ben, Ben Damaral who has been listening. Um, Hello, he ben. dropped us um, a message on our Instagram, uh, Ladies Who London podcast on Instagram. And he said that he has just started listening and he's gone all the way back to the beginning and has listened to all of them. <laughs> you are a sucker for punishment, Ben, I Honestly, tell you. Honestly, <laughs> when did that start? He's been listening to them every day. I know. And he's now waiting uh, for the new one. So the, that's this one. Hooray. So Yay! we thought we'd give you a little shout out. Say hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. Um, thanks for listening. And thank you for, frankly flagellating yourself by going back and listening to the entire oh, back that word again alex you like that don't you flagellating. flagellating that came up a couple of weeks ago didn't it did it i think so maybe it's my word of the month flagellating flagellating i haven't know. managed to get it into a sentence myself yet but okay well self-flagellation i suppose anyway whatever so on with this week's podcast where are we this week well alex the wheel it did <laughs> land um, crikey, where did it land? It lands on Covent Garden. Oh, it did, didn't it? Now, it at on this Covent point, Garden. we should say, if you've bothered to read the title of this podcast, you might realise it is not the Bow Street um, uh, police station, the Bow Street runners this week, as it was supposed to be. What? Now, there's a reason for that. I know, <laughs> sorry, Em, did I not tell you? The reason for that is we were going to have a guest on this week, um, and it was uh. going to be uh, somebody related to the museum, um, that's just opened up. Uh, sadly, she's uh, not been able to join us last minute. So I've switched the topic this week and we are going to come back to the Bow Street Runners in a few weeks' time Great. Um, when she's able to come back on and, and actually be a guest because we were really excited about having her on. So we don't want to do it without her. No. Because um, she'll bring an amazing insight. So um, I've switched over to one of the other things that was on my list for Covent Garden. Now, this is, for those who listen to Glo or watch Global Tea Break, um, which was the series that I did on Instagram during lockdown. It was fantastic. Um, thank you very much. Uh, this is a repeat topic, but it's one of my favourites. And this is an incredible woman with a really exciting story. And we're going to talk about Margot Fontaine today. Um, so for those who've listened before... Apologies, but I think you'll agree it's an amazing story. So, Margaret Fontaine, do you know who she is, what she does? Did you watch that episode of Global Tea Break? I'm testing you now. I, this is really embarrassing. Um, I didn't watch that episode. <gasps> scandal, 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 scandal. Um, so, I'm literally sitting back eating popcorn and I'm about to enjoy Alex. Fabulous. Well, Margaret Fontaine, um, now I'm going to preface this by saying. If you are not a fan of ballet, do not turn off because she is a ballet dancer. 
but her story goes much, much beyond the ballet. Now, the reason I wanted to do something on the ballet is I am a massive ballet fan. When I did you my are. top 100 things, experiences to do in London on the Global Tea Break, um, think the Royal Ballet came in first or second or something. It is one of my favourite things to do. And Margot Fontaine um, was the person who shaped the Royal Ballet. She mm. performed in the classics. She was a muse for a choreographer. Um, and she, you know, she really is the, the when you look at the, the ballet greats, if you sort of do a top 10 list, she's in there. Um, she used to partner Rudolf Nureyev, who you may have heard of, who is just mm-hmm. one of the all-time greats in ballet. Um, but Margot Fontaine goes on to have a very interesting story that involves political intrigue a coup and then a rather dramatic um sort of comeback so bear oh with this like not just worry. your regular ballet dancer well you, you say that there's a couple of ballet dancers who've gone a little bit uh, political of late but we're not going to talk about them we're going to talk okay. about margot so fabulous name margot fontaine margot fontaine just yes. gorgeous that's not her original name oh <laughs> Her original name, she was born Margaret Hookham. So oh, a little bit different. Not quite as glamorous as Margot Fontaine. No, bring on in... Margaret Hookham to the stage. No, it doesn't have that kind of champagne ring to it, it does it? It really doesn't. Whereas Margot Fontaine is just mm. fabulous and, you know. Dripping. Like you the champagne ring, I like that. I like that. Mm. Um, she was known, her nickname was Peggy. So even more kind of down to earth and, and very All right, pegs. All right, pegs. And she's your pegs, peg. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what her accent was like. I've never, have I ever heard her speak? I'm not sure. Anyway, maybe she did have an Emily, an Emily Dell special. Oh, yeah. You're that posh accent of yours. Oh, that one. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so she was, she was known as Peggy. She was born in in Surrey and she started, you know, like so many dancers, they get onto it really young. She started dancing at four. Wow. She went to ballet school in Ealing in West London and Mm -hmm. age four, she is already, you know, there and, and she sort of said the minute I saw the stage and I wanted to be on it and, and you often find that with with dancers and performers that the minute they have that first sort of they're awakened to that they're like what this is me this is it mm, mm. so the whole thing kind of her ballet life was a little bit uncertain when her father um he actually moved to Shanghai for work oh so you can imagine immediately her little kind of ballet life at home but she learned, she went to Shanghai, she learned ballet there as well under a, oh, quite a, um, a famous guy at the time, a guy called George Goncharov. And it was it was really clear very, very early on that she had a huge talent for dance, like really absolutely natural. Um, and when she came back to London, she started training at the Sadler's Wells Ballet School. Have you ever been to Sadler's Wells? I have. I've seen a couple of productions there. The last thing I saw was The Snowman. At oh, Christmas. Lovely. Oh, yeah, they often do that. Oh, it was beautiful. Dancing around the stage and flying high. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I was at the Sadler's Wells just the other night. For those who follow me on Instagram, um, I put up some stories about it. I went up for Singing in the Rain, which was, let me tell you, oh, yeah. out of this world. I, it's my favourite film anyway. It was incredible. Adam Cooper dancing in the lead. Just oh. amazing. Did they have any kind of speckles of water or? They didn't just have speckles. They had litres. Seriously? Yeah. The, he, he, they did a proper, you know, literally Damn dancing Paul. in the rain. And it was, <gasps> you know, it was deep in water. And he was wow. it all out into the audience. It was fantastic. It was amazing. Oh, brilliant. Um, do you know, actually, when I moved to London, which would be oh, 20, <laughs> nearly 20 years ago now, um, 
I was such a bad a mad ballet fan when I was a kid, and I'd watched a there was a, a TV show or a, a I think a film possibly um, called The Ballet Shoes, and I would watch it obsessively. And when I moved to London, the only thing I wanted to do for definite was go to the Sadler's Wells Ballet. Oh bless you! And I think within my first week of being in London, I'd been I'd, I'd been to Sadler's Wells, and I it was just that was it. I was in London mm, then. It was mm. the one thing I wanted to do. Well, what a nerd! Anyway, did you did you cry when you were in there? I honestly don't remember. I don't remember what I saw. I just remember being Needing so be excited there. about being in Sadler's Wells. Wow! Yeah. Do you own any ballet shoes? <laughs> do I? Heck no. <laughs> Just uh, as an observer, you love it. You're not. Uh, yes. No, I don't. I, I'm not. Uh, I do other dance, but I don't do. I don't do ballet. Don't do ballet. Um, I did when I was a kid. Anyway, I digress. Now, the she she, she started training at the Sadler's Wells Ballet School. Um, and she then debuted with a school that was called the Vic Wells Ballet School. Um, and she was only 15 when she debuted. So really quite, you know, you can see this this talent, this innate talent is coming out really early. So what what is the Vic Wells? Have you heard of the Vic Wells Ballet School? Um, it's not connected to the old Vic, is it? It absolutely is. Oh, yeah. it is. Oh, it, they started as a ballet school. Well, no, the old Vic was already in, um, uh, it was already there. The Vic Wells Ballet School was started kind of as a like a co-production. There was a lady called Nanette de Valois. If you go to the Royal Opera House today and you're out the, the side with the floral hall, you can see this incredible building. Mm. We'll put some photos on the blog of this. Um, right in front of it, there is a statue of a dancer sitting down and tying her shoe right by those oh, red yes. phone boxes. Yes, yes. That is Nanette de Valois. Okay. Now, Nanette de Valois is one of the four really big names attached to the Royal Ballet. She had, she was a ballet dancer in her own right. She had um, danced with the Ballet Russe, which was a very, very famous mm. uh, ballet school uh, with Serge Diaghilev. And Diaghilev is often seen as kind of the, the forefather of ballet. Um, and then she founded her own dance school to give her dancers kind of professional experience. And she approached a lady whose name you probably know called Lillian Bayliss. Have you heard that name before? Oh yes, um, it's a it's a shop as well, isn't it? Well, there are places all over London, especially concert halls and mm. things called the Bayliss Theatre or the Lillian Bayliss mm. Auditorium and things like that. She was already doing opera and Shakespeare at the Old Vic, so the Old Vic was hers. She owned it, and um, Lillian basically said to her, "Yeah, yeah, sure, let's let's do something together." And this relationship uh, created what was known as the Vic Wells Ballet. So the old Vic and the Sadler's Wells kind of came together. And this relationship lasted until Lillian died in 1937. So it was, you know, this is quite a big deal. Lillian's a very big deal in in, um, theatre. And up comes Nanette de Valois, who's been this very famous, very popular dancer. And they create this this school. And this is where Margaret uh, Hookham or um, Margot Fontaine goes to study, goes to, to dance with them. Um, one of the things that Lillian had wanted to do was to reopen Sadler's Wells Theatre uh, and the old Vic you know, was doing really well. It was it was full every night and she wanted to increase that programme across these two theatres. Um, and Sadler's Wells was up for sale. Uh, the theatre had sort of fallen into disrepair and it was up for sale as um, the site of a factory. And Lillian managed to raise the money um, to, to buy the site, demolish it and then rebuild it. And that became... Wow the Vic Wells so okay. you know quite impressive now 
one thing that Nanette de Valois did is she brought in a load of famous dancers from the Ballet Russe that she'd danced with into the Vic Wells Ballet. One of these was a lady called Alicia Markova. Now, Alicia Markova, again, is in those 10 of, of the top dancers ever. But as Margot Fontaine is coming in, shortly after, this is where Alicia Markova leaves. So there is a space. Oh, hello. And Margot starts to inherit these very famous, very classical roles that Alicia Markova has been really famous for. And how old is Margot at this point? She's only 15. She's only 15. Only 15. Only 15 when she debuts and it's shortly after. So, I mean, she might might have been 17 or so. Um, I don't know exactly the age she started inheriting these big roles. But yeah, I mean, young. And of course, ballet dancers are young. um, But that is particularly young there. Gosh, it is, isn't it? And I guess, yeah. you know, there probably wasn't a day that went past where she wasn't training. It was probably very rigorous. Oh, absolutely. And it still is today. I mean, if you, mm. you know, if you talk to dancers, there's um, a dancer that's um, rather sort of high profile who, um, from, at the Royal Ballet who's just left in the middle of her incredible career to go and study at university in America. Oh, um, because she missed that opportunity when she was... I mean, age, she's still only in her 20s, I think. Oh, she's, she's still in the... Oh, oh yeah, wow, okay. She's, she, yeah, she's incredible. But mm. she's very aware that, you know, the, the dancing takes everything. You don't have space for anything else. So it, mm. it's, it's, it's definitely a lifestyle choice. And I guess you've only got a certain amount of years to be a ballet dancer? Yeah, or... I mean, it varies depending on whether you're lucky with injuries or not mm. and, and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, same as, as sports stars. I mean, these guys are, I'd say, often a lot fitter than sports stars. Mm. Um and what they're doing is is just stamina and, and strength and just incredible. Um, so, yeah, you know, like like any kind of athletic endeavour, your younger years are your prime ones. Yeah. And the toes as well. Oh, I imagine, yeah. you're, you know, there's only a certain amount of years where standing on the tip of your toe is, a, you know, it, oh gosh, I don't know how they do it. I know. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. And if you ever go to the ballet and you see... Especially Swan Lake is a great example for that. Mm. Um, when you see the the swans all on point and they're just all, they're, they're sort of flying. They're made to look like they're sort of flying and fluttering across the lake. Mm. And it is just, it's a thing of beauty. If you've never seen it, even if you're not into ballet, pop it into Google and have a little look because mm. seeing that is, you know, is outstanding. Um, one of the roles that, so there's a very famous ballet called Giselle. And that's one of the roles that uh, Margot took on. Um, but also Sleeping Beauty. The, the title role of Aurora, um, hers, Margot Fontaine's, is considered the kind of definitive version. Wow. You know, she, she's amazing. Mm. And she becomes a muse for choreographer and all this sort of thing. Now, when it gets to... Oh, actually, Anne, I should mention, um, there's a very famous version, because you get different versions of, of stories, like Romeo and Juliet, for example. And one choreographer decided that he was going to centre his Romeo and Juliet around her. So she, you know, he literally choreographed it for her. Amazing. Gosh, I mean, she must have been pretty incredible for them to completely adapt it yeah. around her. Wow. Absolutely. Are there videos that you can find? Oh, definitely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. and, and she is stunning, especially when she's dancing with Rudolf Nureyev, who we're going to get mm. on to later. Okay. Um, now, we get to World War II, and you can imagine that World War II is not... Not great for... Well, we know in, in London that theatres mostly carried on. Yeah, there was a period of time when the theatres shut, but mostly they were open. But 
It, this was potentially a disaster for the Royal Ballet and it was decided to keep the theatre open for morale. You know, a lot of this thing of, we've all seen the movies, haven't we, of the young soldiers coming to London and going to the theatre and all that kind of thing. Mm. And that was one thing that the ballet was kept open for as well. But in 1940, early 1940, they... Now, this, this is... When you think about this, you kind of go, how how was this allowed to happen? How did this become a thing? It was decided that in spring of 1940, so already the start of the Second World War, mm. they went on a tour of the Netherlands, Belgium and France. What? Right? I know. It just, you think... Wait, what? Were they, um, I mean, you can imagine the manager kind of sitting them down and saying, hey guys, we're about to go on tour. <laughs> yes, where we're going. <laughs> How do you feel about like, that line? Um, <laughs> be like, really? Um, yes. It's all right. We're going to give you some hard hats. Um, we've painted them pink and white to go with your ballet gear. Well, you joke, but it really was very close really close so on the 6th of may they played uh they did a show in the hague and four days later the hague was invaded by the nazis <gasps> yeah and guess where the company were they were still in the hague oh, oh yeah and they hid in the in the hotel i think in the basement of that hotel for three days <gasps> and then they were smuggled out and um they were smuggled into the hold of a cargo ship and then came back and apparently, you know, they were being sort of bombed all the way back. And Bloody later... Wow, that's got to be terrifying, hasn't I mean, it? You know, Unbelievable. Just, we just danced there, But why, why had they planned, well, got that gig? I guess there wasn't that many gigs around because, as you say, you know, a few theatres were starting to close. Yeah, I don't know why they did it. But the... Well, one of the reasons, possibly, so that the Foreign Office, they were asked about it and they said, look, you obviously knew that the Nazis were nearing and that they were there and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And the Foreign Office admitted that, they, yeah, they were aware of the invasion plans, but they didn't want to cancel because they feared that they were going to reveal the military intelligence that had been given to them about the Nazi advance. Oh, so if they declined, then people would mm. say, well, why? What do you know? Exactly. What, well, what do you think's happening out there? Well, then they're going to know that they've been they've got information coming in from somewhere, and they're going to go and find where that leak is. So, why were they given that information? Why didn't others know that it was going to? Oh, I mean, mm. I you're asking me about war strategy now. I wasn't around at the time, and I definitely wasn't part of the foreign office. So right? Really... No, no. So I don't know. To um, be honest, but oh wow! So they must have been. Well, it's like any any wartime, isn't it? You're always given intelligence on what the other side is doing. Yes. And realistically, they're not going to be able to do much about the advance into the Hague. Um. So what are you going to do? You're going to well, you're going to put your ballet shoes on and get yourself <laughs> over there. Get that tutu on, girl. Come absolutely. on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Now, rather sensibly, the the company then stayed in the UK. They didn't go out of the UK for the rest of the war, but they went on tours around the country. Okay. And, you know, this is kind of tough because, of course, we're, we're talking about wartime. We're talking about rationing, um, both food, clothing, all of that kind of stuff. And, and normally a dancer would get through, well, I don't know, two, two to three pairs of point shoes in, in one full ballet. If you had a you know major role, then you'd be getting through, because point shoes, the ones with the, you know, the, the big blocks at the top that you go on mm. on your toes in mm. they they take a lot of wear and tear 
And these dancers were wearing one pair of shoes for 18 performances. Oh, so you can imagine that... That little bit of wood. Just, yeah. God. I bet it was just like a tiny little stub. <laughs> like as big as a sharpener. And, you know, they're their feet. Well, it would have been the feet that would have taken the toll more than the actual shoes, I think. But still. Oof. Yeah. And there's one lady who was a dancer in that company at the time, a lady called Beryl Gray. And she remembers a bomb o- exploding overhead right in the middle of the performance. And mm. they just kept on dancing. Kept on going like absolute troopers. Absolute troopers. Wow. But you know what? A a lovely thing to watch while something so harrowing is happening because it, it, you know, it really does. I can imagine, you know, being in that situation just make you forget about things just for a split second while you're watching somebody do some kind of amazing leap through the air. Absolutely. Mm. And and ballet did become incredibly popular because of this. You know, like you say, it was an outlet. It was a an escapism bit. But it was also, they were going on tour around the country and they were open in London. So it was a way of people to go and see something, frankly, absolutely fabulous mm. in, like you say, a, a pretty grey and grisly and, and rather depressing time. Mm. And I presume maybe it would have been a little bit expensive for people to watch the ballet. So maybe at this time they were kind of reducing their prices and letting more people see it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about prices. I I think this is something that is often thought that ballet is very expensive. And I find that it's often no more expensive than any other theatre in London, which, of course, Mm. you know, if you are privileged enough to be able to afford the the income where you can go to the theatre you can easily get tickets I mean I used to go when I was a a poor struggling you know early 20 something in London and um I would go to the Royal Ballet and they were really cheap seats right up at the top and they cost Mm. me like 10 pounds and you know it wasn't the best view but it was still amazing Mm. and and you know it is it is it doesn't have to cost hundreds of pounds is what I'm saying Mm. um so I don't know what the prices would have been back then but obviously you know, you're going to make it accessible for as many people as possible. Yeah. So this, you know, this shoots Margot even higher in the fame. And, and she is just this huge ballet icon. And she goes on um, worldwide tours with the company after the Second World War, of course. Um, she goes to the USA and she goes on a show called the Ed Sullivan Show, which oh. at the time was, you know, your, your Jimmy Fallon, your James Corden of the day. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things she did is by her sort of she she had a really lovely gentle nature she was really sweet um in fact i was chatting to somebody a little while ago i can't remember who it was now uh, but they said that they had met her they'd been on tour as a i think so, a backstagey type person or, or something to do with the production with margot fontaine wow and they all went to dinner one night and she this lady didn't really know anybody there so she kind of came in late and Margot was like come over here and there's, there was a seat next to her and she she sat her next to her and then they became really good friends throughout the rest of the of the touring production oh so what a she, sweetie pie what a sweetie you know because when you get these big stars for for theatre and that kind of thing they can be diverish mm. and this lady I can't remember who if it, if it was you and you're out there listening please remind me and remind me of the details because I probably got them all wrong oh, it definitely um, wasn't me but, but yeah, she said she was just adorable. And f- um, from that point on, every dinner, she'd sort of save a spot for her and, and have a nice chat and things like that. And she was apparently very kind of reserved and quiet and just really gracious and lovely. So nice. she went on this show in the US and, and that 
she was so delightful everyone loved her that this started this kind of in, in interest in in classical dance at that point as well mm. now, i'm just i'm just gonna say i've just put a, a, put a photo of her in my uh, well just got a photo up of her on my phone she's absolutely beautiful she is, isn't she? she's very delicate yes very delicate yeah. gorgeous smile we'll put a picture up definitely, definitely on instagram wow now this is where it starts to get quite interesting in a non-ballet way oh. so um in 1956 the the royal ballet gets its charter so it becomes uh the royal ballet um i suppose just like the ballet uh, no, it was the Sadler's Wells Ballet before, and then it becomes the Royal Ballet. And in that same year, she gets the Damehood, so she becomes Dame Margot Fontaine. And the year before, she had married a chap called Roberto Arias, who, who was known as Tito, that was his nickname. And he used to be the ambassador for Panama to the UK. Hmm. And he was a diplomat and a politician a little bit of a playboy as well oh hello oh yes and he was in a panamanian family that was a little bit like some of the kind of american dynasty families so a sort of a, a roosevelt or a, you know a, one of those families that that has lots of kind of people in different positions of power um his he also was his family was a little bit they were kind of they liked to plot against things as well and this is where it gets a little bit excited. So she becomes a freelance dancer. She leaves the Royal Ballet. She becomes freelance. She's still guests with them, but it means that she's got, you know, she's not employed by them anymore. She can kind of do what she wants and she can guest around the world with different people as well. Great. And she spends a lot of time in Panama with her new husband. And in 1959, she is arrested in Panama. <gasps> what the hell does she do? Well, her husband had attempted a coup on the government um, there is talk that it might have been with the help of Fidel Castro and she had tried to kind of be a decoy for her husband as he'd been trying to bring in arms into the country for this coup. Um, he had sort of, it had all fallen apart and he had escaped. And so she acted as a decoy for him so he, he could escape. Wow. And of course, this means that she's complicit in this this coup and so she's arrested there. She was then deported to New York um, and her husband had managed to escape and they weren't, they didn't see each other for a little, uh, a little while, but they ended up being reunited in Brazil. And she was dancing again by November of that year. Oh, wow. I was going to say, is this, <laughs> so is this because she was well known and people just, you know, kind of. I don't know the ins and outs as to how she, was, she was well she was off. deported so i guess if, if if they deport you then it's kind of like we're getting rid of you rather than you can do what them. you want but you're not allowed to to step foot here kind of thing yeah exactly exactly yeah. um now at this point so she was born in i don't know if i told you when she was born 1919 so Ooh. this is 1959 okay so she is 40 okay right. and a couple of years later she's in her early 40s it's 1962 and she's thinking about retirement now for a ballet dancer to be in your early 40s and still be dancing is incredibly impressive. Mm. I mean, that, that that rarely, rarely happens. Mm. Um, so she's about 42 at this point and she's thinking, I, 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 might, I might pack it in soon, I might pack it in. And then in comes somebody who's going to change all of that. Rudolf Nureyev steps into the scene. Now, Rudolf Nureyev is, I mean, 
when we're talking dancers, he is just one of the most incredible dancers you will ever see. He had just defected from Russia. There was a film a couple of years ago. I think it was called White Crow. Okay. That was his nickname, White Crow. Um, I think it was called that. And it was about him defecting from Russia. Um, he used to be the star of what was the Kirov Ballet, which is now called the Marinsky. And he came over on a tour and defected, which is a massive, massive deal. He is about 20 years younger than her. He's 23. And they sort of went to Margot, oh, how about dancing, having Rudolph as your partner? And they were instantly just <sighs> incredible, spellbinding. Whenever you talk about Margot Fontaine, you talk about Rudolf Nureyev in the same breath. And these two, I mean, it would have been incredible to see them. I wish I had. Oh my um, they God. performed Giselle together, which she'd performed before. And apparently at the end of that performance... They had 15 minutes of applause and 20 curtain calls. <gasps> Whoa. I know. I know. Gosh. And I've got a picture up of him as well. And hashtag hottie. Oh, he is a very beautiful Whoa, man. cheekbones. I bet she didn't turn him down. I bet she yeah. was like, yeah, all right, I'll give Rudolph a go. Well, he wasn't on her bus, but never mind. Oh, okay. Uh, he was on a bus going in a different direction. Oh, um, well. <laughs> can't have them all. Now, this is where, so she decides actually not to quit and she kind of, you know, she, she dances with Rudolf Nureyev and they go on tour together. And in 1964, they're on tour and Margot receives the news that her husband has been shot. <gasps> oh, yeah. So she leaves the tour immediately. She goes to Panama and oh. she finds out that he's been shot four times. Oh, my God. And he's been paralysed. He's now a quadriplegic. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. So at this point, she is like, well... I now can't afford to retire. I have to bring in income I have to keep for going. his medical bills. Oh, my God. Yeah. When she got that phone call to say that he, she, he'd been shot, did, uh, did they know that he was going to survive at that point, I wonder? Or did I don't you know. Think... I don't know. Mm. Possibly not. Possibly I mean, not. to survive being shot four times. Mm-hmm. Wow. But, yeah. Gosh, so she just had to keep on going she had to keep on going and one thing she did is she brought him over to the uk for um uh, treatment while she could carry on dancing mm. where do you imagine she brought him where is going to be the place to bring spinal injuries in the 1960s very famous um have we spoke about this hospital before we have not oh it's where the paralympics started Oh, in the Stoke Mandeville Spinal Hospital. Oh, okay. Which is where, um, yeah, they they started the Paralympics years ago. Wow. Um, to give you know the people who were recovering from spinal injuries, mm. sport and things to do. So very very world famous. And do you remember at the twenty twelve Olympics? One, uh, I think the mascot for the Paralympics was called Mandeville. I think. Oh. Random random wow. facts. Anyway. Okay. Um. And Nureyev, you know, so she she carried on dancing and Nureyev just thought she was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And he, he said, he said, you know, when she goes off the stage at the end of Swan Lake in her, you know, huge white tutu covered in feathers, he says, mm. I would have followed her to the end of the world. Oh, they had a beautiful. very, very close relationship. Very close. They they trusted each other. Yeah. Amazingly. And the two of them, I mean, I say they trusted each other. They did a lot of japes together. They both got arrested in San Francisco in 1967. They were at this massive party in uh, Haights-Ashbury. If you know San Francisco, that's very much the kind of um, 
sort of hippie kind of area of San Francisco and they were both arrested for smoking pot. <laughs> She's a bit of a devil, really, isn't it's she? Great. Isn't she fantastic? Mm, love her. And the two of them danced together for 15 years until she was well into her 50s. So, I mean, for wow. a dancer, this is just unbelievable. And how old is he at this point? Um, so when she's well, 50, how old is uh, he would Well, he was about 20 years younger, so he would have been, um, uh, if she turns, when she turns 50, he'll be about 30, 31. Wow. Yeah. And as you say, you know, you need so much trust. I'm not surprised they really did because the amount of throws you're doing, especially yeah. if she's of that age. I mean, just incredible. Incredible. Mm, mm. She retired from full-time dance in 1972. Whoa. Yeah. So late 50s. And then, 1972. So and she that started was, that, when she was four. God. Yeah. And so that is, that's from full-time dance. She still carried on dancing <gasps> ad hoc. And then she retired completely in 1979. So she would have been 60. 60. 60 when she finally fully retired from dance mm. I mean that is a lifetime isn't it and that must have been so emotional oh I mean when you decide to to finally give up your hobby or passion yeah that must be just just mm. your life yeah yeah what so she do? went to she moved to Panama to be with her husband mm. fairly obviously and they she lived on a cattle farm um and that's you know that's what they did she reared cattle and she, she and Nuriev, they kept a really close uh, relationship and they would speak several times a week. And she said to him, I've developed this love of cattle farming. Mm. And so they had this big sort of ranch, really. Um, and, and, you know, cattle everywhere. Now, in 1989, um, her husband was about to die. Um, so, you know, he'd been paralysed for 25 years by this point. Wow. You know, she's been caring for him full time. Margot developed ovarian cancer as well now no. she was very very private she did not tell many people at all i mean literally mm. a handful of people and she was traveling back and forth to america to houston for her treatment she had gone through all of her money she'd exhausted everything so you know the, her husband's medical medical bills are high now her medical bills are high and nuriev stepped into the breach and he helped her out financially and he traveled to see her loads as well mm. and they were really you know they, they remained really close and then the BBC did a documentary on her. Um, they were like, we haven't heard from her in a while. What's going on? You know, th what's happened with this sort of big, you know, coup that happened and then her husband and they're still, you know, the family was still very, very in the kind of political sphere. Mm. And they did this documentary and they included, now she, like I say, she was very private and they included Nureyev talking about the bond that they shared, but also the extent of her financial worries sort of revealed themselves in the course of this documentary and she's basically living in poverty by this point in oh. um in panama her husband has died now um and she is just sort of living there just subsisting really very very you know really quite sad and so this documentary created massive waves and a gala was organized for her nurio uh, nurio nuriev danced in it mm -hmm. um the famous opera singer uh, placido domingo also mm -hmm. sang in it and princess diana was there as well wow and they raised 250,000 pounds <gasps> for her care oh that's incredible absolutely incredible and this is in the you know the the 80s so yeah. obviously the the would have been a lot more now and she traveled over for it she traveled over for it she came onto stage she was still incredibly delicate this little bird um and just you know amazing to have her on the stage there she died uh, two years later at the age of 71 in 1991 and she died on the 29th anniversary 
of her premiere of Dancing with Nureyev. Oh, gosh. In Giselle, wow. which was just, I mean, amazing. Wow. And she was then buried with her husband in Panama. And so this woman, I mean, she, her name still, you know, reverberates in the halls <laughs> of the Royal Opera House and any ballet company around the world of Margot Fontaine, just this amazing woman. Mm. And there is a plaque to her in Westminster Abbey. Do you know about this? Oh, Whereabouts is it? So it's in Poets' Corner. There's a little plaque. It's very tiny. And it actually is not just to her. It's to the founders of the Royal Ballet. So it's got uh, Nanette de Valois. Uh, it's got Frederick Ashton. It's got uh, Margot Fontaine and somebody, Constance Lambert, who was the musical director. Oh, it uh, rings a bell. Is it, on the, is it on the ground or is it a it's, dedication on the wall? It's on the ground. And mm-hmm. it's as you're sort of leaving Poets' Corner to go back towards the middle of the Abbey and the exit. It's oh. right there. It's a little oh, yeah, triangle. I think I have seen it. Um, oh, lovely. Yeah, amazing. So that is Margot Fontaine. I mean, what? who would have thought God. that this you know peggy from from sorry would go yeah, on to be a world's class ballet dancer and involved in a coup in panama wow and you know when she got that message to say oh we're having a gala for you number one to try and raise some money um and then suddenly realizing that that amount had been raised for her mm. you just i think they had to convince her to come over as well because mm. you know, she was so modest and so sort mm. of unassuming which is probably why people loved her even more and wanted to put the money in because they knew that she you know the fact that she she had hidden the fact that she was so much in debt and struggling yeah because she didn't want want to worry anyone or kind of ask for help I guess yeah um what a lovely lady with a little bit of a a little bit of a a rebel side as well yeah feisty edge they're my favorite type the rebel ladies Yes, especially knowing that she'd be dancing in this kind of white tutu and, you know, kind of quite unassuming. And then... Oh, she is smoking yeah. pot around the corner with Nureyev and... Uh, yeah, getting arrested a couple of times. I mean, just, it's fantastic, isn't it? You would mm. never, you sort of wouldn't think this quiet, unassuming lady would be up for starting a military coup in, yeah. in Panama. Wow. <laughs> so oh, fantastic. Oh, I'm so going to have a little look at her dancing. Yeah. I'll try and put them, uh, if I can, try and embed a YouTube uh, link into the blog as well. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Um, Get your tech head on. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, so that's Wow, that's there she that's is, Margot. I hope it wasn't too ballet-heavy for, for people who are not into ballet. But to be honest... Oh, no, I think that story had know. a bit of everything, to be honest, Alex. Um, wow, I love that name as well. Margot, yeah. With a T Margot. as well. Mm. Yes, it always reminds me of... Um, I used to read the books of Gerald Durrell who wrote all about animals and he was um, a collector and his sister was called Margot. And I always remember thinking, that's a gorgeous name. Mm, it really is. It's yeah. lovely to say, isn't it? Yeah. Margot. It's, it's, it's a little bit French. Yeah. It kind of just, it lingers in your mouth for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got a bit of a crush. I think you have. <laughs> uh, well, oh, Alex, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Podcast pedestal. So what do you think for your <gasps> podcast pedestal? Proxy. Well, there's quite a quite a few things, isn't there? Um, I think I know what I want to go for. It's it's kind of an obvious one, really. I bet I know. Go on, go for it. Well, I, I kind of want to go for the gala. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I think it says so much about how many people respected her. Yeah. And even you know, it was obviously a few years after because when that when the BBC 
created the program it would take a little while for them to do so and then to mm -hmm. air and it had been a little while since she danced and her name out there plus she had a few kind of bruises to her name bruises that some people might have thought was bruises yet so many people wanted to to help her yeah. so I think I think I'm gonna go for the gala good choice and as well you know put into that the fact that people are donating because they saw her dance during the second world war and she mm. lifted why am i helping you i don't know gala! <laughs> great choice <laughs> well i'm gonna go quite classic on this one and i am going to go uh nuriev's arrival it's as simple as yeah, that i can't yeah, that's not that's a good one i can't not that's a good one because i mean know, i'm surprised we haven't gone for our feet but but that, well, that is a good one um I mean, the new ever arriving is is the bit where you think she's like, ah, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it all up, and then he arrives and there's just this spark, and mm. they create one of the most incredible dancing partnerships ever. But not only that, it gives her the ability to carry on earning once her husband has been shot. Because if she mm. hadn't, if he hadn't arrived and she had given up, then where would she be? You know, it would have been much much worse. Yeah, that's true. Um, Completely different pathway. So there we go. Those are your options this week, everyone. There we go. Lovely. You know, it's either the gala for fundraising or it is the arrival of Nuriev. Excellent. There we go. Oh, thank you very much, Alex. Fantastic. So before we get onto the wheel, um, have you got anything that you want to talk about coming up? Anything you want to plug? Um, so uh not just yet there's a couple of Ooh. things in the pipeline i've got for october lovely but not just yet okay um no what about you well i've got a, a tour coming up well i've got a, all my my public tours are still on the uh on the the website this sunday uh, at 11 o'clock i'm running my black londoners tour which is all about people of color in london who have um you know been instrumental in 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 the city and history which is one of my favorite tours but i know that a lot of people really enjoyed kitty fisher from a couple of weeks ago so mm. i'm also going to give a shout out to my tour which is the following sunday the 29th which is my harlots and boards walk harlots harlots we love it harlots. um around covent garden and soho and it talks about the georgian sex industry it talks about the um inspiration for some of the people in the harlots tv show you don't have to have seen it uh but you know if you have then that's always kind of fun and the book that uh, everybody used to or, um, all of the harlots of the area used to be listed in it's one of my favorite tours uh, so that is on the 29th of august at 11 a.m and they're all 15 pounds per person uh, and you can book on my website simple wonderful lovely go. alex um i'd like to do a little mini shout out to carmen who has been <laughs> quiet throughout this whole entire recording yeah she's sleeping <laughs> on your shoulder we didn't think we were going to be able to do it but she no. is just I think dead. she's all right, Beverly. I mean, she, from this angle, she looks fine. Yeah, she looks all right, doesn't she? Yeah, she yeah. looks all right. <laughs> yes. Um, well done, lovely. Carmen. Well done, Carmi. The Wheel of Destiny. Um. So, the wheel. Yes. Yes. Back to the big one this week. Back to the big one. Back to the big one. What are you thinking? You thinking people, place, event? Um, there are a few people that I want to do. Right. I do have a bit of a list of people. Okay. One who I'm really excited about, but I don't know where 
I, uh, we haven't got it on the wheel, the place name. So I kind of have to think where this person is linked to. But okay. I'll, I'll think about that for another All time. Right. Um, give it a spin then. Okay, give it a spin. Here we go. Oh, oh my gosh. I, I've completely forgot about this area. <laughs> I don't think he's ever landed here. Oh. It's bank slash city. Ah, Okay. Mm. Oh, interesting. Oh, God. You've got so much there. It's more kind of institutions. I mean, obviously, you do yeah. have people, but talk about Mansion House. Um, you've got the Royal Exchange, the yeah, bank quite itself. A lot of good, good stuff around there. Ooh, ooh, actually, I know. Um, have you heard of the Beefsteak Club? No. Oh, okay. Maybe I might talk about that then. Yeah, it's a club that was formed in the 18th century and it's got quite a few um, big names I'm sure you would have heard of. All right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm up for that. The Beefsteak Club. The Beefsteak Club. Brilliant. Excellent. Brilliant. I'm looking forward to that. I don't know anything about it. It Sounds delicious. (laughs) Get me some peppercorn sauce. Absolutely. (laughs) So there we go. That's it for this week. Thank you all so much for coming. Lovely to see you, Em. Yeah, thank lovely you to see you quiet, too, my calm. love. Yeah, thank you, Calm. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant, Alex. Thank you so much. And, and thank you uh, to all of you for listening. Absolutely. Don't forget the blog is there if you want to go and have a look at some of the supporting stuff uh, to go and see things. And um, like we say, get in touch. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do that via email, ladieswholondon at gmail.com, or you can pop uh, a note through the contact page on the website um, or on Instagram and um yeah let us know let's know your thoughts and please do keep reviewing us we've had a couple of one and two star reviews now which we're not happy about but we haven't we haven't looked at them so if you want to go and give us a five star review we'd be delighted with that yes please please and uh, we will see you next week fantastic Ooh, exciting see you then everyone (laughs) bye guys Bye. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London Podcast. And, and on our... Oh, are you butting in? <laughs> so you've never done that before. Do that again. Seriously? What is wrong with us? Uh, right, do that last bit again. I'm going to edit that in. You can be found... You can be found... <laughs> <laughs> we can be found on Instagram at no, Ladies... Do it properly because I was giggling over the top. Oh, okay. okay. Well, what's the next bit? Something about... Oh, information... Oh. For, for for information for more information about us and what the blue badge guiding qualification is all about yeah <laughs> i think oh. oh upcoming tours upcoming tours for information about our upcoming tours um, this is the worst one ever this is the worst one ever for more information about our upcoming tours no <laughs> bloody hell